Welcome and happy to be here, your mental health starter kit podcast. This week, we're talking to Dr. America, Chief Social Impact Officer for Mental Health America, the originators of Mental Health Awareness Month, which they started back in 1949, which makes this the perfect interview for Mental Health Awareness Month. We talked through the org's new book, Where to Start, which walks individuals through the big questions that come up if you're struggling with your mental health. Questions like, how do I get help? Am I okay? Do I need to go to therapy? And so much more. I'm Vivian, this is Happy to Be Here, and here's my conversation with Dr. America. I am so excited to be on this episode of Happy to Be Here with Dr. America. We were chatting beforehand on some technical difficulties, but I think in terms of this conversation, it always it also lends itself to a really nice starting point because we're going to be talking about where to start in a survival guide to just mental health in general. And I think that that is choppy waters, no matter who we're talking about or what we're talking about. But before we dive into the book, I would love for you to introduce yourself, the work around the book and the organization. Awesome. Thanks for having me, Vivian. Um, I am Dr. America Paredes. I am our Chief Social Impact Officer here at Mental Health America. So that's just a fancy way of me saying that You know, I work in community and um, identify opportunities for us to really partner with a range of different folks in getting the word out about who we are. Um, In general, Mental Health America has been an organization that has been at the cornerstone of driving change since 1909. So we've been around for a really long time. But, you know, our work continues to be important in that people still need support in understanding their mental health and navigating that space. So that's really the driver for creating the Where to Start book. You know, you mentioned 1909, which I hadn't known the exact year, but that's a very long time. And I think that when we talk about mental health, particularly in this space with social media, it can feel like such a trendy thing that just has started to surface in the last decade. But the reality is like, A, it's just a part of our health, so it's been around for as long as we've been around. But also, I'm interested in hearing more about how you've seen social media impact that trend of that conversation um, and how much easier or harder it is to get the right information out there. That's a really great question, Vivian. Um, The reality is that social media is both a good thing and a bad thing, right? It straddles the line of positivity and negativity, Um, wherever you are in the spectrum of wellness and illness. So, you know, in the world that we exist, you can get a range of information anywhere. You can Google something, go into like the webs Mm -hmm. and find all kinds of information. But the fact is you don't really know who's providing that info. And that's where I think the conversation really has to shift in helping people understand Be very mindful of how you're taking in information from social media. Ask questions. Don't just take what's being provided and swallow. Just say, okay, great. I'm going to believe it. No, you really have to figure out what it is that you're looking for and ultimately what it is that you're trying to get out of that experience. So for us, you know, as an organization that we not only use social media to help educate, that's really the cornerstone of our work, we want to also normalize the conversation around mental health. You know, there is a great aspect to social media in that now conversation is available to many people. People who live with mental health conditions can go out and share their story. Phenomenal, right? That we're breaking down those barriers. But in the same vein, my experience, even though it may resonate with yours, may be very different from yours. So you have to then determine, okay, 
what is the best thing out of this conversation that's going to help me in my situation today? It's really interesting because I think you hit on something that I haven't talked about much on the podcast, but I think is really important, which is just how do we cultivate that palette of how we consume conversations around mental health on the internet or just like the social media in general um, so that we not aren't taking in things that are actually harmful or like self-diagnosing off of like two symptoms on Google that can actually overlap to like 16 different conditions or looking at other experiences on social media and how they're talking about their mental health and making sure that the, it's, I think one of the reasons why I wanted to start this podcast, right? Because I am really passionate about the topic, but I am not a therapist. I am not licensed to give advice or information on this, but I am really good at asking questions. And so for me, it was how can I get all the people who are really equipped to answer these questions on here, answering them as a vehicle to help other people. But I don't think that everyone necessarily goes in with the intention of doing that due diligence. They're going for the thing that just gets them the most clicks, the most views. And sometimes that can be really harmful. So how can someone who is experiencing the internet, social media, really cultivate that palette so that they're consuming it in the right way? I think um, a first step is in identifying who you actually are following, right? So one thing you can follow an organization like ours, right? We've been around for a hundred plus years. We know what we're talking about. Um, that's one aspect of it. The other aspect is in thinking about when you go out and to consume something on social, whatever you're searching for, you're going to find. <laughs> yeah. It's guaranteed. Confirmation right? like, bias. Sometimes a million. Yeah, right? So like unicorns and mental health, Ooh, you're going to find something that says, you know, unicorns are the best thing. And the reality is you have to question from your standpoint, what it is that you want, right? If you want to hear something that is going to help you find support and find something that is going to guide you in the right direction, you have to go to a verified source. And verification isn't, you know, I'm, I'm going to go with like old school. It's not Wikipedia, <laughs> right? And it's not the fact that like it's in science books and all and that. And it's also not a check mark on social media. No, mm -hmm. no, not at all, right? It's about doing your research. You can consume something and say, okay, I saw this thing. Go do some actual research. Read a little more about the topic. Find out, is this something that is actually talked about in the books? Are there other conversations that are happening that maybe help expand how you're receiving that information? Because one of the things too, which I think is a, is a personal passion of mine, is understanding that within different cultures, there are a lot of um, I'm going to call them treatment modalities, right? Different ways that we engage in conversations about mental health and well-being that fall outside of what's evidence-based, right? So for instance, if you think about, you know, I identify as Latina and, you know, I'm a fairly spiritual person, not necessarily fully religious, right? But there may be folks that are like, the faith in my religion is the thing that drives me. If you want to go in that direction and explore, you may find some roadblocks around that path because mental health may not be discussed in the same way that it's discussed in social. And you're like, oh, everything that you're experiencing is normal when something else on the other side is like, actually, everything you're experiencing is a sign mm -hmm. of like, you know, impending doom. A hundred percent. So I also identify as Latina and I grew up in a very Latino household and 
I see the benefits of the internet from the perspective of giving you a space to talk about stuff like anxiety or grief, which are my kind of entry points into the conversation a decade ago, because it was the only place I could do it, right? Like I wasn't talking about mm-hmm. that at home. They they still, I've been in therapy for almost nine years now and they still don't re- like really ask me about therapy. They don't really think it's a real thing. And like in terms of my family and I had to be okay with that not being a conversation that we can bring to the table, mm-hmm. but also knowing that like, the way that I'm managing my mental health is good for me, even if it's not good for them. And I think that the book, Where to Start, is geared towards a younger audience, but it is also the perfect entry point for anyone of any age because I think it really simplifies things that can sometimes be too complex and too anxiety-inducing in their own right to make you feel like, you know, I don't know how to find a therapist or I don't know if I want to like right. self claim that I have anxiety or do I need the label? Do I not need the label? I think these are all questions that anyone asks when they're talking about or thinking about their mental health, particularly when it may be the first time that they're doing so within the context of like their culture, their family, their friend group, or just themselves. Yeah. I I think what we wanted to get out into the world with the book is exactly that. When you're one, you don't have the language to know what to look for. What do you even ask? Right. And you spoke to that a little bit earlier, right? You wanted to create a space here with the podcast to ask these questions, because that's a place where we struggle the most as human beings. Right. We one are kind of like, is it just me or something else going on? Right. And that state of um, ambivalence and questioning, we can stay in for a long time. You know, I can imagine when you first started going to therapy, the jump from you thinking about going to therapy to actually going to therapy took some time. 100%. I went to therapy for a very different reason than the reason I'm still in therapy. Like I went to therapy and I said, I'm going because I'm going to graduate from college in two months. And I've lost my mom 10 years ago prior to that at that point. And I was like, I know that this big events trigger my thing. I'm going to go because I'm looking ahead and I'm trying to be premeditative of like how I know I will make me feel in May when I was graduating college. And I got there and I'm like, and she's asking me all these questions. And I was like, oh, I, I I walked through the door with that reason in mind, but that is not why I'm going to actually stick around. Right, right. And that process is what naturally we want to happen in a space where you feel comfortable and sharing. And then, you know, when you think about the way that we've laid out the book, because it's in four different parts, the intention is that you really do start at this questioning phase. Like, what's going on? Is this normal? And we use that language because that's the way that we talk about these issues, not to say what you experience and what I experience is the same, right? But understanding that our normal is going to be self-identified. So if you are really struggling in kind of figuring out where you are, that's where you can turn to the book. And it is intended for anyone. Um, You know, ideally, anybody that can pick up the book can flip through it and say, okay, I've gone through the first chapter. I understand it. But now I'm trying to figure out what are the next steps? What am I supposed to be able to find? And that's another place where people struggle because they don't know. Is therapy the right choice? Not always. Not everybody has to go to therapy. Maybe you want to do stuff on your own. And that's okay. When you then have to transition to finding some additional supports, we then provide information about what that could look like. And that's everything from peers, you know, folks that have lived experience to 
therapists, psychiatrists, your medical, other doctors, you know, because mental health is complex. It's connected to our physical health. So when we struggle, our body is telling us, you know, through indicators and symptoms of physical illness, hey, something's going on. But we oftentimes don't tie the two together. I actually had, um, I was in a, I was sitting in and listening to a panel last night at a local event um, by my town. And the conversation was around gut health, but also anxiety mm-hmm. and mental health. And it was one of the nutritionists or the therapists, I can't remember who, said something really great, which is like, a lot about mental health is your gut brain connecting with your head brain and sending these signals back and forth, up and down. And that's what really causes sometimes the physical reaction of anxiety or whatever it is you're going through, plus the mental, emotional aspect of that. And it's like this never-ending loop. And I think that that decision paralysis is also really clear when you're struggling, right? Because you are struggling. You don't know where to go next. And you don't, and even when you go know where you go next, you don't know where to go after that. And sometimes it can feel like too much to even get started, which is why I really love the the title of the book because I think it simplifies the main question everyone has, which is like, where do I even start? <laughs> yeah, definitely. You know, what I, what I like about what you're sharing is this idea too that we don't always have to have all the answers. At the beginning of our journey, I think we, we do us a disservice to ourselves and we say, we're going to figure it all out. And that's not mm-hmm. reality. It takes time for us to find the right thing that works. Even if you're going to explore therapy, you have to find the right therapist. You know, I've been in therapy if, and I've been in bad therapeutic <laughs> relationships where I'm like, yeah, no, this isn't going to work. And I have to go find the right one. Or if you take meds, you know, it takes a while for meds to get into your system. You think these things are just kind of instantaneous. Or even if you're going to modify your diet to help you like reestablish a good framework, that takes time. You know, if you've been eating like crap for years and all of a sudden you start eating better, then your body's like, wait, what's happening? You know, so you have to pay attention to all these things, but ideally the book is going to help guide you down that pathway, you know, and it's not intended to be a solution for every question that you have. That's impossible, but it is intended to serve a kind of like a roadmap. If you're starting off all the way at the beginning, follow this through all the way to the end. If you're starting somewhere in the middle, open up the book at the middle. You want to find resources about how to get help, go to that chapter. So I think the other piece too is when we think of folks that are in our lives that we may see are struggling and we don't know how to have a conversation, this is a good book for that as well and say, you know, I've noticed X thing. Let's look at this together. Let's read it together. And again, that helps to normalize that experience and then helps guide that conversation. There's a mention in the book about warm hotlines. And I had never heard of that term. And I mean, I've been in this space for a while. And like, I know hotlines, like regular hotlines, like suicide prevention hotlines and stuff. But I would love for you to like walk us through what that actually means. Yeah. So um, warm lines, as they're uh, re- you know called, They are a phenomenal resource. So if you think about a hotline, right? Originally, the intention of the hotline was like when you're in in heat and like you're in crisis, you're going to reach out and find support. And they're all good. Like those are really good resources. The warm line is like one step removed from that when 
you're not at a crisis point, mm-hmm. but you need to talk to somebody who may have similar experiences. And most of the warm lines in the United States are run by people with lived experience in either mental health or substance use conditions. So where you are like, I don't even know if this medication is working. You call and you can talk to somebody and they can tell you it takes time, you know, and they're just there to listen and have a conversation with you. Whereas in a hotline, you know, they're trying to walk you Mm -hmm. back from that crisis point. So the warm lines, they are offered all throughout the United States. Uh, Most of them are free. And I don't think of any one of them that you have to pay for. Um, But they aren't 24-7 like many of the crisis lines. Um, They have different hours. uh, But the reality is that when they are available, they end up being a a gateway to a connection with someone who ultimately has walked your same path. And we need that, right? I think that the, what I've learned in trying to take care of myself and my own mental health over the last, like through my twenties over my last decade, um, was really just how important it is to not just have one tool is to have like a whole toolbox. And what that looks like is so catered to what you're, living through and what stage in life you're in. And and that changes from year to year, decade to decade. But I love how the book also includes that as a big part of your own mental health journey, right? It's not just what other orgs or support groups or people can do for you, but also what can you do for yourself that may, that adds up along the way, right? I think you made a really great point too, that therapy, support groups, medication, they're long game. They're like, little by little, it will add up and it'll take you somewhere. Um, and that's how it's supposed to be, I think. And it, it creates a sustainable environment for you. But there are also little things that you can do as those things are building up to kind of get yourself to a place where you feel like you're actively participating in your own like mental well-being. Yeah, totally. You know, a lot of that work that you're talking about starts with small changes. Anything that we want to change in our life has to be done in a, if you really want to make it sustainable, right? Like what you're talking about, that five years from now, it's still there. You're still, you know, deploying this mechanism to help you. Well, then you have to start small. If all of a sudden, (laughs) for instance, you're like, I'm never going to have sugar Mm -hmm. again. Worst decision that you could make because your body has to get weaned off of that, right? In the same way, you can apply that to the difficult relationships we may be in, um, Maybe even, you know, stuff that you're dealing with at work or school, all of that takes time. And sometimes that kind of thinking, which I engage in as well, right? I'm I'm a person, so it's not like all of a sudden all of the things that are mental health, I have all the answers for. The reality is when we start thinking about a goal that we want to attain, you have to do it well so that you can start small and build. Um... I think one of the most critical pieces of any kind of change that we want to make is also realizing that we will have setbacks Mm -hmm. when we believe in ourselves and you can have the power to believe in the change that you want to make. It's also important for you to say, okay, when you're fumbling in this change process and you move backwards a little bit, okay, give yourself the grace to move from that point and say, What happened? Let me learn from here and move forward. Because, you know, the disastrous thinking that we engage in is like, okay, fine. 
nothing worked. <laughs> it's over. Nothing's mm-hmm. going to change in my life. And you automatically want to just throw everything away. But don't do that. You know, don't do that to yourself. You're worth the work that it takes to get there. And so I, um, this episode will actually come out during Mental Health Awareness Month. And one of the other episodes that I have coming out during that time is with the founder of Therapy Notebooks, which are these research-based notebooks around therapy, but also they have a new one that's out on habits. And one of the really cool facts that I learned within that, that one of their experts wrote down is just that this idea that building a habit only takes 21 days or whatever that amount is, is actually based on like really old research on plastic surgery and how long that research study said that, that, that a person would take to get accustomed to their new whatever. But it really takes anywhere from at minimum 10 weeks to start implementing anything. And that a really helpful thing when you're implementing a new habit is to queue it up, but also to tie it to something you're already doing, right? And letting that build slowly and knowing that it will have those setbacks, like you said. And I think that that is so important when it comes to this wellness culture that we're in, where so much of it feels like these easy fixes, like taking a bath, a face mask, going on a walk are suddenly going to take everything away. And while those are good, like small habits, like we're saying, so much of what you can do to really support your mental health is commit to the fact that it is long-term and sustainable. The same way you get a a checkup physically once a year and you test your blood and all this other stuff. It's the same kind of thing that you have to build out to know that it's just a part of your everyday existence, really. Yeah, you know, um, I'm glad to hear that this is going to come out during Mental Health Month. Mental Health America as an organization started that observance back in 1949. And it's grown into this conversation that occurs every May, which is phenomenal, right? Um, And in speaking about what you're mentioning, I think, too, part of the process is identifying where you need support. You know, we may not have all the answers, but it's really, really useful if you have somebody that's going to stand next to you and say, hey, remember, you and I are doing this together. And in that process, you also build up your own mechanisms to then say, "Okay." There'll be a point when I can do this on my own, but right now I need you to come to my door every day to help me go outside, right? These types of things are sometimes forgotten in the process of change and finding support for mental health. The reality is that oftentimes we live in our own mind and we think something's wrong with us. I don't even know what's going on with me. And the time that's spent in thinking through that is a disservice to you because you deserve in all reality to find the help that you need to help you feel better. And that better, again, is self-defined, whatever that means for you. But in that journey, if you're not asking for help, then it's also an important question for you. Like, what does that mean for you? Where can you find that? It doesn't have to be family. Sometimes that conversation isn't a good space for family. Not everybody has that, but maybe it's a friend. Maybe it's a warm line, right? Maybe it's a support group, like you said. There are so many options that can, I think, fill the gap for people that may not necessarily know what to ask for or how to find support. And they're just tools, like you said, that world of a toolbox that you have, you know? A lot of my audience are women and pretty much between the ages of like 20 something to 40 something. Um, So they're in the sweet spot of being people who are listening to this. I'm probably thinking this is how I can support myself and figure this out for me. 
But some of them are moms or aunts or older mm-hmm. sisters who are thinking about that teenage kid who they think may be struggling. And I think that way you said was really beautiful is like, we're going to go through this together. We're going to figure this out together. And I think that as an adult in a teenager or a kid's life, being able to break the stigma around mental health, isn't it just doing it for yourself and showing that through role modeling, which is great, but it's also leading the way for a younger kid who may not know how to even identify. Like you said, this dictionary of mental health is complex and you learn as you go. Um, And so I really love how much of this book really helps someone who may be leading someone else in that journey Mm -hmm. as a older person and saying like, okay, we're going to figure this out. We're going to do this. Vivian, you make me laugh because I'm one of these older persons. (laughs) I'm the same way. I was thinking about my nephew the whole time that I was reading this and I was like, you know, he's 15 and we have always had, we joke, but we've always had what we call a vulnerable relationship. Since I was very, since he was very little, I would be like, Sebastian, I just want us to have like a vulnerable relationship together and like be open and all this stuff. And he would, he jokes about it now that he's older. He's like, oh, Vivian just wants a, a vulnerable relationship, but it's paying off as a fifth, like as he's getting into his teenage years, he has some of that language that I've like imparted to come to me and say, well, this is what a vulnerable relationship can look like with my aunt. But it's also like he's a teenager and it's hard. And like, there are so many things he's juggling. And as I was reading this, I'm like, this is great language for me who, while I am comfortable talking about this conversations with my friends, we kind of share the same dictionary, right? We're both involved in this, but it's a whole lot different when you're talking to someone who may not be as involved in that dictionary. Right, right. You know, I spend my life, um, I spent the last like 30 years of my life doing this work. And there are a couple of things that are so important. One, when you're speaking with younger people, um, it's so important to not come into this space and be like, yeah, I have all the answers. That's not true. The most important conversations that I've had are where I'm very genuine in saying, I don't have all the answers, right? but I can try to help find the right direction for us. And my nephews, my nieces, you know, I have um, my stepdaughter, we have these relationships where we want to have very open conversations so that when they struggle and they don't know the words, they can just say, something isn't right. I, I don't know what it is. I have no idea what's going on, but I just know something isn't right. And that's enough of, a trigger for me to say, hold up. Okay, let's stop. Let's figure out what's going on. And this book is is part of that, right? One of the things that's included in the book are a couple of worksheets and things that you can do. And it's like writing a letter. Um, Sometimes we don't, it's really hard to have, you know, conversation. And if you don't have the right words, Mm -hmm. you're like going in your mind, you're like, oh my God, what if I say the wrong thing? Sometimes it's good to just write it out. And when you do that, it takes, you know, gives you some space to remove some of that vulnerability, right? And you just hand it to whoever you need to and say, I just need you to read this. Yeah. And that can be a guiding conversation, right? The other piece I was going to say when working in community, um, a couple of things that come to mind is the need to focus in on normalizing whatever it is that you're experiencing as part of the spectrum of wellness and illness, right? Not everything that occurs is illness. All of a sudden we're all like, you know, it's a disease. No, not at all. We're just struggling. It's a human That's condition. Part of life. <laughs> yeah. yeah. 
it's, that's just it. So let's have a conversation. Mm-hmm. Let's think through what we can do together. You know, at the end of the day, I think everything that you're doing with the podcast and even the work that we do, when you think big picture, it's like, yes, you know, people download our materials, they have the book, but it's that one person that is struggling. If they're like, oh my God, I mm-hmm. have been looking for something like this. That's what we want. hundred percent. It's the one thing that motivates me to keep going. And it, it's really interesting that you say that too, because I think it also, it's an extension of how we're living our lives in general, right? Like I was thinking as yeah. you were talking, I'm like, I have one standing phone call a week on Friday afternoons with a friend who goes through, is going through a very similar life stage as I am and like struggles in the same way. And we go on there and we're just like, all right, this is the stuff that I uncovered in therapy this week. Do you feel this too? And she's like, yep, same thing. And I'm like, cool. So like, we're not abnormal. This is very average for whatever we're going through. And we find community in that and we find support and we find this acknowledgement that we're, we're doing okay. And like, even last week, the whole thing, we were talking about something and she was just like, yep, just being human. And like, that is it. And I think so much of our mental health, we we need to cultivate this space to be able to talk about it, to destigmatize it. But it is ultimately as normal and as average and as real for everyone in terms of it is just the same way that physical health is a reality. Like we have ups and downs. Totally. And so I think the normalizing is important, but the acknowledgement that the normalizing comes because society has stigmatized it, not because it is something that only some people have. Thinking back about how you were asking about the power of social media, right? And how this conversation has changed before social, where do people get information, right? Um, I'm going to date myself, right? But it's like, what, you go to like a Yahoo group or something (laughs) like that? And you're like, okay, those things are still useful. You know, the the Reddit forums and all that. Um, But there's a difference when you are then able to connect with somebody who is having very similar experiences and is able to tell you oh man that was like that was my Tuesday (laughs) yeah yeah it's like what no you are overthinking that and you're like really okay you know and and that's what is critical to then guide people towards support if they really need it if they identify it as something that will help them um and that, that piece is too in recognizing when we're struggling and you're not really sure what's going on, ask questions. You don't have to ask like the right questions. Use the book if that's helpful to you to help think through what that could look like. And then ultimately determine what's going to work best for you within that spectrum. Yep. And I love that you keep using the word spectrum and just range because I think... Mm-hmm. You know, every single day is a new experience and a new experiment. And we are all just trying our best. And so much of what wellness is, is learning yourself enough to react to yourself. And that also takes a lot of time. Um, It's one of the reasons why I'm really excited that we talked about warm lines during this conversation, because I think that those are as essential and important. And now that there's an actual word for it that I can use, I'm like, that's peer support. That's community support. That's a friend who gets it. And helps you normalize what you're going through on any given day when your therapist isn't around, when you can't go to that yoga class, when you don't have time for a bath. Like there's different ways to get that support. And it's really, really awesome to be able to know that 
May in Mental Health Awareness Month, but generally in every single day of your life, you have people who are talking about this and trying to create, cultivate a space to be inclusive and inviting and comforting because waking up every day with anxiety or waking up every day with a fear or a struggle isn't easy. And you're doing so much by just showing up every single day. And the process of doing that can over the next 12 hours be something that you are supported with in different ways. Yeah, that's a very important point. And, you know, for Mental Health Month, for instance, this year, our campaign theme is look around and look within with the idea that we have to recognize that our environments impact our mental health, everything from our home life all the way outward to our neighborhoods, right? And in that is embedded the cultural framework that we're using. So find a space, you know, where you can feel better. You talked a little bit about like, maybe going outside isn't always the answer. Sometimes it can be when you're stuck on your phone and you're like doom scrolling, you're like Mm -hmm. life, oh my (laughs) God, you know? Put that stuff down, go outside, spend some time just breathing fresh air and letting your brain connect to that space. All of that is critical to help reset your physical body, right? Which we oftentimes Mm -hmm. forget about, right? Like we are in conversation and we like stop breathing. And then you're like, okay, (laughs) well, what's happening that you're forgetting to actually take that time? So, you know, the book is one, one resource of a, a toolbox of other resources that we offer. People can find information on the Mental Health America website, everything from our toolkit and campaign for Mental Health Month, all the way through like free um, prevention screening mental health tests. They're available on our website as well. And all of the tools that we use for that program, for instance, are scientifically validated. They're not just like a little quiz, you know, um, they're useful to help guide that conversation as well. And then, you know, people like yourself that are out in community, sharing their story, talking about their experiences is an additional aspect. And, you know, like a little thing that you can carry that you come back to every week. You know, we have our own podcast at, um, at Mental Health America. It's called In the Open, where we have these conversations mm-hmm. as well. I love that name. Yeah. And it's, it's really our motto um, because we were created, we were founded by an individual with lived experience back in 1909. So if you can imagine in the 1900s living with a mental health condition, it was a totally different era. It wasn't something that was talked about at all. And he was hospitalized and he decided out of his experience, I have to talk about this. I need to be able to help others. And so In a letter that he wrote to someone, he talked about the fact that he needed to fight in the open to be able to help others. So we live that motto every day, Um, you know, and recognize, too, the fight that we have within us to continue moving forward. The fight that we need to put Mm -hmm. up to help society change is also part of our work. But we can't do that alone. Right. All of us are really involved in this. Um, from folks like you all the way to others, professionals and people that are just living their life. And when somebody's struggling and they're like, I don't know what to do, you can say, it's okay. I, let's try to find an answer together. Oh my gosh, Dr. America, this has been an amazing conversation and I am going to carry the phrase, need to fight in the open in order for this to be, to kind of move through it is so 
poignant. Like I teared up as you were talking about that because I think that that's a really short sentence to describe exactly what I've been doing for the last decade. I didn't know I needed that. Um, But this has been an amazing conversation and I'm really lucky and thankful that I get to share this with the Happy to Be Here community. Where can people find you guys in terms of the internet and social media? So you can find us on social at Mental Health America. Um, on Twitter, which is questionable. <laughs> right. <laughs> uh, at Mental Health AM. And then our website is mhanational.org. I'll make sure to add all of those links to the show notes. Thank you so much, Dr. America. Thank you, Vivian. I'm adding all of Mental Health America's links and social handles to our show notes. Make sure to follow them for added resources. Don't forget to rate, review, or share. Happy to be here with a friend if you can. It helps so much, and especially this month, which I think is a really good conversation starter if you want to talk about well-being or mental health with anyone in your life. I'll catch you next Thursday with a new conversation.